This is Cornstalks and Sports Talk, your go-to Iowa-based sports show, hosted by the one and only Elliot Clough. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. All that's left of the FCS season is the title game in Frisco, Texas, coming up on January 8th between number three, NDSU, and number one, South Dakota State, North Dakota State, of course, who I'm talking about. Just one game, but so many other things to discuss here with Sam Herter of Hero Sports FCS on Cornstalks and Sports Talk on AM 950 KOEL and KOEL.com this morning. Sam, we appreciate you hopping on, but first things first, an all-MVFC final happening uh, in the FCS, the first time since it was NDSU and, and Illinois State in 2014? Yep. Okay, you was going to say, you're the man to know that. Uh, did, <laughs> did you see this one coming uh, with the way the seedings were and, and uh, everything, uh, how it was put together by the committee? Yeah, I I, I did. Uh, you know, when I when the bracket was first announced, you know, I came out with my national title favorites ranked 24 to 1, and I had South Dakota State number 1, North Dakota State number 2. Uh, and so I, I felt this was going to be the matchup now. Last weekend, heading into last weekend, I did predict Montana State to win. Uh, so I kind of flip-flopped there a little bit just because I thought Montana State was was rolling. Um, but as far as this being the matchup, I thought just with how the bracket shook out, when you saw, okay, NDSU, maybe they would have to go on the road to play Sac State, but that didn't end up happening. I think just how the bracket looked back in late November, I think a lot of people saw this as, okay, we finally might see this North Dakota State-South Dakota State rivalry game down there in Texas. Now, uh, with that said, having two teams in the same conference facing off in in the title game is this is this good for the FCS? Uh, yes and no. Um, I think it's good for the FCS in terms of the amount of attention it's going to get in the crowd that's going to be down there in Frisco and the atmosphere. I think all that is going to lead to, you know, kind of the people that view the FCS and, and kind of watch this game and see the crowd there and see how how much raw talent is on that field there's a lot of next level guys on that field I think that part of it is good for the FCS in terms of people just think wow this you know this is this is big time football right here this is a a blast of a game compared to you know not to pick on any other teams but if it was Sac State versus William and Mary I mean there might be 10,000 people there like that's just kind of the reality of things and so I think from that aspect of it it is good the aspect of it where it'd be bad is just you know, the the powers of the FCS, as everyone knows, has kind of shifted to the Midwest, uh, the Montana schools, North Dakota State, South Dakota State, um, you know, just with the they have the more the most engaged fan bases. They're taking football the most seriously, um, you know, teams from the big sky in the valley, you know, are as far as the resources they're putting into football compared to, you know, the CAA and the SOCON, the Big South, all of their teams that used to put a lot of resources in the football. Well, they're now in the FBS. And so I think that would be the negative part is. You know, we, I think the FCS just as a whole needs more, uh, you know, teams across the FCS landscape that can truly compete for a national title. Because at some point, if it's the Big Sky versus the Valley or the Valley versus the Valley every year, at what point does the SoCon fans like just stop caring about the FCS national title picture? And that that part of it wouldn't be good for the FCS. Right. And the FCS is already 
kind of suffering in terms of not kind of is suffering in terms of uh, attendance and, and fan base mm-hmm. engagement. So, so that's tough. And, and with just the sheer dominance of, of North Dakota state uh, it's, it's, it's tough to see uh, another team really sort of usurping them unless it's a South Dakota state or NDSU moves on to the FBS, which speaking of that, uh, as a guy that covers UNI, obviously I see a lot of UNI Twitter uh, before we move on talking a little bit more about that title game here on corn stocks, the sports talk on AM 950 KOEL and KOEL.com with Sam Herter from hero sports FCS. Why hasn't North Dakota State moved on to the FBS? I know there are so many different things, and I'm sure you've heard this conversation so many times. If there's anybody, again, to tell us about why this hasn't happened yet, um, I I know some UNI fans and fans across the Valley and the FCS are just kind of getting tired of how dominant North Dakota State has been. Now, they weren't so much that way this year, but with that said, why haven't they moved to the FBS yet? Yeah, I mean, you can basically sum it up as, location lack of invites and then to you know also money uh as well i mean if ndsc was located in virginia or in missouri they'd be in the in the sun belt by now there's absolutely no doubt in my mind they'd be in the sun belt but when you look at where ndsc is located there's not really a geographical fit you know it's, it's going to be hard to convince fbs group of five presidents to add north Dakota state to their conference when you look at that travel because a lot of people will look at it from a football perspective but you're also you, you're not only from NDSU's perspective of, of traveling all the other sports to these other places, but it's also, you know, these other conferences, these other teams in these conferences saying, well, do we really want to add Fargo, North Dakota to our footprint and send our volleyball team and softball team, track and field teams, uh, you know, basketball teams there. And so I think location um, is really the main factor of it. And just there hasn't been you know an invite for NDSU you know, Liberty was kind of the exception of they could, they kind of just went FBS on their own uh, and went independent, but that's because they had loads of money uh, to do it. NDSU, you know, you, you can go from a financial perspective of it too, where, uh, you know, NDSU's student fees for athletics is, I don't even know, less than a hundred dollars. I don't, I don't know how much it is, but it's, it's very few amount compared to James Madison where they were charging, you know, a thousand dollars per student. And so for NDSU to go FBS, I don't know where that money is going to come from because if they try to increase the student fee, they tried that like five years ago to help with travel that got voted down, uh, you know, very easily. The money's not going to come from the state. It's not going to come from the university. And so for NDSU to go FBS, they would have to double their athletic budget. You're not going to get that from it all from a TV deal. And so I don't know where that money would come from. So um, it's just more so than money. It's just the location part of it. And at the end of the day, you can't just go FBS. Um, I know the ASUN and WAC, they're trying to, but if you're NDSU, you can't just say, <laughs> we would like to go FBS. We're going to go FBS. That's just, that's just not how it works. They need an invite first. And, you know, so far that invite has not to come, has, has yet to come. And speaking of that location proximity, I, uh, being in uh, big 10 country here in Iowa, I don't see that move coming up anytime yeah, yeah. soon. Uh, even though they beat Iowa, however many years ago that was, but um, with with this game coming up um, at, between NDSU and, and South Dakota State here, uh, January eighth in Frisco, who do you see winning this game? Is it SDSU again? Does does NDSU get back to their uh, championship ways and and beat a rival here? How does it how does it shake out? Yeah, I think that you have to favor the Jacks right now, just with how they're playing. Uh, even at full strength, I, I still think at South Dakota State would be. Uh, the favorite going into this game, uh, but then you also have to factor in just the, the sheer amount of guys that NDSU doesn't have, whether it's 
you know, All-American fullback Hunter Lipke, who's a pro prospect. Noah Gindorf is a pro prospect at tight end. They're also down two tight ends. Uh, their number two running back, Tamaric Williams. We don't know if he'll be back yet. Kobe Johnson, their new number one running back. He left the game this last weekend with a, a finger injury. Uh, offensive side of the ball, they, they lost Eli Mostart, their All-American. He's been out for a while. His twin brother, Will Mostart, he's, he's a, another defensive tackle. Um, he left the game. Uh, there's been some other defensive ends and defensive players uh, that have gotten injured. They've had some key guys enter the transfer portal as well. And so you look at their 2D in August compared to what it is now, and it's you know just not even close to the same. And so I, I do think North Dakota State, the injuries will be a factor, but at the same time, you know, I don't want South Dakota State fans to think we're setting up the narrative of, oh, well, if NSU loses, it's because – it's because they're mm. injured. Like I said, even full strength on full strength, I, I still think the Jacks would be favored. But, you know, it, it should be a good game. Uh, NDSU knows how to utilize these three weeks. Uh, they know what it takes to win in Frisco. Um, I think you see that when NDSU plays first-time opponents, whether it was Montana State or uh, Jacksonville State a few years ago, you know, NDSU just looked ready to go. Meanwhile, those other teams were kind of – you know, they're, they're, they're kind of trying to get their feet under them on that bright national title stage. And by that time, it was too late. And so I think NDSU um, could potentially close that gap with their injuries, just that they have that experience of being there before. South Coast State's been there, too, but that was in the spring, uh, only a week, you know, b- between games. And so the, the three-week buildup is kind of a, a different element to this as well. With all of that said, obviously, we've talked about the the implications of it being two MVFC teams. Um, who who we expect to win. Both of these teams, very talented. The conversation across Valley fans, from what I've seen, it's not just the UNI fan base. It's it's I, I've seen it from from obviously Youngstown State and, and some other schools that had some pretty decent seasons, but just three teams from Missouri Valley Football Conference in, in the playoff picture this season. And five from the CAA, who you mentioned a little bit ago, not putting them the amount of resources into their their football teams. Um what, did you agree with the the playoff picture the way it was set up with so few MVFC teams when it came out and and has that changed at all since the the way things have have played out throughout the playoffs? Yeah, I mean hindsight is what it is. Just with how the CAA for the most part, you know, when they did exit this year's playoffs, it was in pretty ugly fashion. Uh, you know, the especially you know William and Mary and um, you know some other teams as well with with how they exited. Uh, you know, Elon uh, they lost pretty ugly fashion you know Delaware lost pretty ugly uh, as well uh, you know Richmond pushed Sac State and so I guess that was one that wasn't an ugly exit but it was still a loss and so um, a loss is a loss so hindsight is what it is the, the CAA probably got too many teams in uh, the Valley probably could have gotten one more team in but at the same time you know there was going to be that one team it was probably going to be Youngstown State and Youngstown fans can complain about not getting in but if you don't lose to I think it was Missouri State who obviously didn't live up to expectations had a losing record if you don't lose that game you're in at eight and three instead of being left out at at seven and four and so um, I know it's we see this basically every year honestly in the FCS playoffs where there's the narrative of this conference is better than that conference and then something happens in a certain round and then a fan of x conference says see we told you so we have more teams in the second (laughs) round quarterfinals than your conference but then the second round the quarterfinals happen and then those teams in that conference all lose. And then the other team has all their, the other conference has all their teams winning. And then f- fans from that conference say, nope, see, you told you we're better uh, than your conference. And so um, I was never, I think maybe the, 
someone from the playoff committee, it may have been the uh, the chair that said they thought the CAA was the best conference in the FCS. I think maybe he had a quote that said that. Um, I'm not sure. I, I might be wrong on that, but um, there someone asked them about like the bubble and they said we felt the CAA was, was one of the better conferences or something like that. Um, but from my perspective, I haven't seen anyone that actually covers the FCS say that. Um, I think everyone's been either Big Sky versus the Valley as far as who the best conference is, I haven't really heard anyone that covers the FCS say the CAA is the best conference. Um, and so because of that, yeah, having five teams in versus three Valley teams in, um, you could say that, you know, Youngstown should have gotten in over, um, you know, like a, a Delaware or, or, or a team like that. So Now, in regards to UNI, do you think the Panthers had any argument to get into the playoffs this season at, at six and five, uh, no signature win? having that loss to Illinois State, lost to North Dakota State. Was there any argument there? I mean, that one loss towards the end of the season was three points to the number one team in the country. Do you think uh, Coach Farley and, and company had an argument to, to get in this season? They probably did, but probably not. You know, a great one, the, the argument would be just how they um, – how they pushed South Dakota State, the, the number one team in the FCS. That was probably the best argument. Uh, but when you had so many uh, seven and – four teams in there. You also had UC Davis, who was, uh, I believe, six and five, and they pushed uh, Sac State, you know, really hard. Um, you know, they also beat Idaho, who was a playoff team. Um, and then, you know, Sac State beat Northern Iowa. And so if there was going to be a six and five team to make it in, it probably was going to be uh, UC Davis uh, instead of Northern Iowa. But then there was so many seven and four teams in the field or in the, on the bubble, there was also Florida A&M who was nine and two. Um, and so I, you know, I I kind of said all year that I just didn't feel like six and five was going to get you in uh, just because of all the other seven and, and, and four teams. And, um, you know, I think if there was going to be a fourth Valley team in, it probably would have been Youngstown State at seven and four um, over, over a six and five Northern Iowa team. And I just felt like with how the, the Valley performed in the non-conference to get five teams in from the Valley just didn't seem realistic uh, this year. And so, um, you know, I didn't. I didn't really have much thought of predicting Northern Iowa to get in just because, you know, we're, are they one of the best 24 teams in the playoffs or in the FCS, you know, possibly, but at the same time, you have to take into account, you know, the auto bids and stuff like that. And so, um, you know, I never really felt that Northern Iowa was maybe had a slim chance, but not never really a good chance to uh, make the playoffs once they hit that fifth loss. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Now, with that, uh, all, all that said... Did you get to watch you and I at all this year? Oh yeah, I probably watched okay. if not all their games, probably, you know, eight, nine, eight to nine of their games. Sure. Okay. I know covering national stuff can be really hard to get to everything, but I with that said, you do a great job. I don't know uh if if you hear that very often, but I promise you do. <laughs> um Thank you. uh yeah. <laughs> but um with with that said, I you and I was red hot towards the end of the season. Um when you get towards that that part of the year um and, and you're you're that you're playing at that high of a level um 
you have to look at body of work, right? You have to look at the entire body of work. And and I'm assuming, would you say that I test they're, they're, they're a top 24 team? Because that's that's where I ended up is I test. Yes, they look like they're one of the best teams in the country. But then you look at entire body of work. They don't have that signature win. Um, even with the quarterback play of Theo Day, who was phenomenal this season, and the defense figuring things out, it, it just came too late. Yeah, and that's what makes projecting the playoffs, the, the field and what it's going to look like, hard to do because the I believe each playoff committee member, they serve a five-year term on the board, but they have you know two or two or three uh, representatives leaving every year. And, and every year there's, there's a new chair on the playoff committee. And so every year they kind of change what they value the most. And I know uh, some years they did look at how you finish the season and we want to get the best, you know, X amount of teams in into the field that are playing their best. Uh, I know, I can't remember what year it was, but, you know, people were asking why was this team in? Why was this team not in? And they said, well, this team ended the year on a four game winning streak. This team lost the year, their last four games that this might've been like 2019. Well, this year you're right. Northern Iowa, how they were playing probably one of the best 24 teams in the, uh, you know, in the FCS, you know, but again, it's more of, you know, who are the best 13 teams outside of the AQs? Because again, we know Northern Iowa is better than Davidson, but Davidson gets the auto bid. And so it's not, all about who are the best 24 teams in is, is, you know, who are the best 13 outside of the 11 AQs um, and Northern Iowa was rolling at the end there compared to Delaware who lost, I think it was three of their final four games. Um, but Delaware finished seven and four. They had the FBS win over Navy. And that was, you know, again, they probably looked at body work rather than, you know, how you finish. And so, um, you know, every year it just kind of changes. Um, but I do think they did go, eye test more this year moving in. Anything I heard the the playoff committee chair say that, uh, you know, quite a bit, which again, you know, it's hard to know what they're going to do because sometimes they talk about, sometimes they look, they talk about eye tests. And I know when it came to Sac State versus South Dakota State for the number one seed, the committee chair said, well, Sac State had the better resume, but our eye test told us that South Dakota State we felt was the better team. And then someone else asked, um, they were talking about, you know, why was Montana in and not, you know, Chattanooga or Youngstown State. And again, he said, well, you can kind of dive into to resumes all you want, but as far as eye test, Montana nearly beat Sac State. They nearly beat Weber State, and our eye test told us that, you know, Montana was, you know, a better team than, say, Chattanooga. And so they did do eye tests this year um, compared to – more so maybe compared to other uh, uh, other years. That's interesting to hear given uh, what I what I just mentioned. But uh, with with all of that said, the, the talk of the playoffs – a lot of what uh, people were saying in, in the Cedar Valley regarding UNI and, and why they missed the playoffs this season was because their strength of schedule was so crazy. I mean, you look at the MVFC, that's already a gauntlet, right? Already one of the best, if not the best conference in, in the uh, in, entire country. And then you throw in a game against Air Force, which is so difficult to prepare for. And then a game against Sacramento State. Um, what the, the, the thinking has been is, just schedule a cupcake, get that, get that seventh, get that eighth win, take care of business against Illinois State, take care of business against North Dakota, and you're in. Um, and are you are you on board with that sentiment? Um, do you think it's fair? Do you think it's 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 lunacy? Where are you with that? Yeah, I, I tweeted this too that the the playoff committee sent the wrong message this year on how to schedule in the non conference because yeah, if you're you know, if you want to be a, a Patriot League team, the second place Patriot League team to get in, or if you're Florida A&M uh, and you want to get into the playoffs, you need to schedule t- 
tougher in the non-conference because when you play in a you know a, what is considered a weaker uh, conference, you know you're going to have to show that you have beaten quality teams in in the non-conference to show to show that you are deserving of getting into the playoffs. You know the Big Sky and the Valley, you know two conferences that are considered the best. There there can be the mindset of well we don't need to schedule. Well, you know, FBS is a different, you know, thing because there's money involved, but there could be some mindset of if we're from one of those conferences, why would we schedule a really, really good FCS non-conference game when we don't need to beat that team to prove how good we are? If we go six and two in our conference or five and three in our conference, you know, that means we're going to be viewed pretty good because we're we playing one of the best conferences. And so why not just schedule three cupcakes, go three and oh, all we need to do is go four and four in conference play. And we'll be in at seven and four. I hate that, obviously, because I want to see uh, good non-conference games. I mean, Montana State and South Dakota State are playing next year. That's phenomenal. But, you know, if you're UC Davis and Northern Iowa are the prime examples, two probably of the better 25 teams in the FCS. Uh, Northern Iowa, they played Sac State. They played an FBS opponent. UC Davis played an FBS opponent, and they played at South Dakota State and nearly won. If UC Davis didn't play that game and they played – uh, you know, Lamar instead of South Dakota State, UC Davis is seven and four, and they're probably in the playoffs. Um, and so you're kind of, and you look at Montana, they played uh, Northwestern State, Indiana State, and South Dakota um, this year, and they went three and zero, which helped them get to seven and four and into the playoffs. And that's uh, that was a pretty bad non-conference schedule. Now, granted, South Dakota made the playoffs last year, and so that the game at the time we thought was okay, that's that's good non-conference. But um, just to repeat what I said, I just think that sends a wrong message of if you play in one of these top conferences. You don't need to go out and schedule tough because if your record is at least 71 wins, you'll make it in. I think that's the wrong message because, you know, I love how Northern Iowa schedules. You know, when they play Montana, Sac State, you know, that's great for the FCS. And now all of a sudden, if you're sending the message of, well, if you do that, you're going to hurt your chances to make the playoffs, then that's that, that's not a message that, that I agree with. It feels like the two playoff committees from the the FBS and the FCS do that completely differently. Are, are you on or do you agree with me there? Yeah, probably. Um, you know, again, with just what the FCS playoff committee, they kind of change, uh, you know, right. every year on what they on what they value the most. And so, right. um, you know, sometimes they do reward playing tough non-conference and they take that into into account but you know there's other times too when um you know i think when some i think they were asked about you know why did uc davis not make it in and they basically said well with six d1 wins it's hard to you know put them in when we're looking at other bubble teams and they all have seven or eight d1 wins and so that again that goes back to the point of well if uc davis didn't play south dakota state and they played a bad southland team well you know the, do they make the playoffs then just because they didn't play a better non or they played a worse non-conference opponent so right yeah, it's just kind of a tough message there. I just want to be upset, Sam. Just let me be upset. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> again, we're talking with Sam Herter from Hero Sports FCS here on Corn Stocks and Sports Talk on AM 950 KOEL and KOEL.com this morning. Uh, we just talked with with Keith Murphy of WHO 13. He's kind of the Iowa sports guy here um, a couple of weeks ago regarding the craziness that that is the transfer portal. Of course, of course, we talked about that a little bit before we started recording, but um in in the we talked about the grand scheme of college football when I spoke with Keith, but overall, with I think it was over a thousand players in the portal at one point in time, that's probably uh, dropped significantly. Maybe not significantly, but that's that's dropped with uh, some more commitments as of late. Is it good for the FCS? 
I I think there's positives and negatives to it. Uh, I mean, obviously the the negatives are, you know, there's a lot of all conference, all American level guys that, especially this year, it seems like you know half of Hero Sports is freshmen and sophomore all Americans are are all in the transfer portal, and so that part of it has hurt the FCS just losing top tier guys to. Uh, to the the FBS, whether it is the Power Five or Group of Five, and um, you know, I know that FCS coaches believe that the the FBS programs they all have, as far as their recruiting coordinators or whatever, like they're paying attention to you know who the top FCS players are, and, and it's it's always funny when I you know when I'm doing my uh, uh, preseason All American teams or you know top twenty five FCS quarterbacks, top twenty five FCS linebackers. You know, last summer when I was doing that, I got like five new followers from the FBS, you know, director of personnel. And it's like, I wonder what you're following me for. (laughs) Checking out who the top FCS players are. Like, I don't know. I don't know why else, you know, XG5 group of, you know, director of personnel would be following me. So, um, so that's, that's the negative part of it. The positive part of it is the FCS now has never brought in better high school talent. Um, I think you see I think there's a, a lot of reasons for that. One is just the the level of, um, you know, coverage that the FCS gets, you know, playing more on ESPN. I think more people are paying attention to the FCS. And so I think, you know, high school guys realize they don't need to go to the FBS to, you know, they can go to the FCS and still play pro ball. And I think that awareness has, has set in where the FCS is getting more and more three-star guys, even some four-star guys. But I also think that the FBS is bringing in less high school players uh, FBS teams, you know, they're allocating if they have 20 scholars, 15 scholarships available, maybe five of those scholarships are going to transfer guys. Well, that's five more, you know, scholarships per team that they would otherwise go to three star recruits. Those recruits aren't getting as many FBS offers. Now they're going to the FCS. Um, and so I think the transfer portal has helped the FCS in terms of getting, you know, higher end recruits. But on the flip side of that, sometimes those recruits end up going to the FBS anyway because of the, the transfer portal. And so uh, there's positive ne- positives and negatives to it. Uh, I just think, you know, kind of is what it is now. And if you don't adjust to it as a, a division one college football coach, and um, I mean, it is what it is now. And so you, you have to embrace it because if you, if you think it's the worst thing in the world and you don't embrace it at all, like you're, you're going to lose players to it. And, you know, you, you can't lose four juniors to the transfer portal and replace them with four true freshmen out of high school unless you have really good depth, you can, but sometimes you need to bring in a sophomore linebacker to replace your linebacker. You just lost. And so um, you just kind of, kind of have to embrace it. And, uh, you know, overall, I don't dislike the transfer portal. I think there needs to be more walls or barriers put up to kind of prevent it from getting so crazy. And um, I think there needs to be more awareness on the player side of it, of, you know, this percentage of scholarship players don't end up getting the scholarship after they transfer Um, like that sort of awareness, I, I think needs to be improved, but overall, um, I think the ability for players to to have more freedom overall is good, but there's, you know, obviously there's, there's positives and negatives with everything. And, and I mean, then again, too, for guys that come down, come down from the FBS to the FCS too. I mean, you look at the history of, of this, this happening at UNI. I mean, you got Theo Day and Desmond Hudson coming back on the mm-hmm. team this year. And, and Day was, like I said, phenomenal this season. And then you go back, Benny Sapp, Woo Governor, Antoine Frazier, Dom Williams, Quan Hampton. Uh, so there's talent coming to the FCS, not just going from the FCS to the FBS too. Yep. And there were, so there were 
I don't, I think there was like 180 to 200 ish FCS players that went to the FBS last off season, uh, which obviously seems like a lot, but there's also more than 500 FBS players going to the FCS. And so there's, you know, whatever, two and a half times more FBS players coming down than FCS players moving up. Now that's not always a new, an even trade. If you lose your all American middle linebacker and you bring in two FBS transfers at linebacker, that's not always, you know, and, and even trade or whatever, but uh, yeah, there is a lot of, um, you know, FBS guys that, that come down and make an impact. And I think, you know, when people transfer, a lot of people automatically think of something negative for, you know, he, you know, bad character, or he, he pouted because he wasn't getting enough playing time. You know, sometimes these FBS guys that play at power five schools, they see the writing on the wall and they say, you know what, I'm, I'm just not going to crack the two deep. Yeah. I could try to, um, you know, try to, try to tough it out and try to crack the two deep, but I also see the writing on the wall. You know what? I, I love my players. Uh, you know, I love my teammates. I love my coaches, but you know, I just, my last two years of college football, I, I just want to get on the field somewhere and I'm going to transfer. If that means going to uh, Northern Iowa or Montana or whatever, then, you know, that's better than sitting on the bench at, at Minnesota. And that's, that's a perfectly fine mindset to have. You're not quitting on your team. Um, as long as you don't leave things you know on fire and cuss out your coaches for not playing you like that <laughs> stuff doesn't happen as much as people think for the most part, it's, Hey, I want to play somewhere. I, it's not going to happen here. I'm going to transfer someone out somewhere else. And a lot of times that is FBS guys going to the FCS and making an impact. There's a lot of FBS guys that transferred to the FCS that made huge impacts for their team. It's incarnate words. One, they have, they like three of their best players were all transfers. If they didn't have those transfers, they probably lose in the first round and not the, and they're not a seed. So, um, you know, another benefit there too. With all of that said, I know you're going to start looking more into the portal uh, in January. Any any major commitments that that have maybe surprised you that you think are going to affect the outlook of the uh, the FCS next season that that really stick out? I mean, only three commitments so far for you and I. I know there's another one coming, which I'm not going to spoil. Uh, but <laughs> uh, but uh, in, any big ones that you've seen so far that that maybe surprised you or that you think are going to affect the uh, outlook of the FCS next season. Yeah, there, there's a few and it's harder, uh, you know, when I look, there's a, there's going to be a lot of FBS to FCS transfers. That's a little tougher for me because most of the time when I see, all right, this FBS guy is going to the F- FCS, I don't really know a whole lot about that FBS guy. I just, because I, you know, I cover the FCS. I don't really pay too much attention to the FBS. And so um, it's hard for me to say this FBS guy is going to make a huge impact for the FCS. Uh, but on the flip side, um, you know, there's, a lot of big name FCS guys that have moved on uh, McAllen castles, uh, UC Davis tight end. I think he's going to Tennessee. Um, you know, Cameron Scadabo, uh, the really good running back from Sac State. That's the big one. If had he come back, I thought Sac State would be really good. You know, losing him is going to be tough for them. He's going to Arizona state, uh, you know, FCS to FCS. Um, trying to think what, speaking of Sac state, Carson camp, who started a lot of games at South Dakota, he committed to Sac state. Uh, Sac State is in search of a, of a new starting quarterback, so that could be uh, another big one. Um, so I think those are the the few off the top of my head that come to mind that could be impactful transfers. I don't know about you. Uh, obviously, having covering uh, covered the MVFC, seeing Carson Camp commit to Sac State, I was like, what? <laughs> I did not see that one coming at all. 
Yeah, I think he's from the Midwest somewhere too. So it's not like he's a California guy heading back to, to California. So, you know, probably just saw an opportunity where, you know, they're looking for a new starter. They run a fun offense. And, um, you know, I always thought he was a good player. Like he, his arm talent is, is really good. He's got a cannon of an arm. Sometimes he trusts that strength too much and, and throws it into, you know, dangerous situations. But uh, you probably saw that as a situation where he can step in there and, and be the day one starter. He is Sam Herter at Sam Herter FCS on Twitter. You want to get a grand uh, landscape uh, view of the FCS, you got to go give him a follow there. He does great work covering the whole country. Sam, we appreciate you hopping on, man. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you having me. And that'll do it for this week's episode of Corn Stocks and Sports Talk. Thanks so much for tuning in today here on AM 950, KOEL and KOEL.com with me, Elliot Clough, you and I insider for Town Square Media. Before you go, make sure that you subscribe or follow depending on where you're listening to this podcast so you don't miss any episodes. We don't want that to happen. And of course, be sure to leave that rate and review on Apple Podcasts, subscribe on YouTube, and do all that for us. It does help us out a lot. So once again, folks, my name is Elliot Clough at Elliot Clough on Twitter. I'm a UNI insider for Town Square Media. This was another week's episode of Corn Stocks and Sports Talk. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.